Malcolm was a man with a terrible temper and he was playing a round of golf with his pastor. And after leaving three straight putts on the edge of the cup, Malcolm exploded. He, I missed, I missed, I missed. How could I miss? He was mad. With that, he, he took his putter and he threw it into the lake. He kicked the wheel of the golf cart. He drove his fist into a nearby tree. He was upset. Well, the pastor's just sitting here watching this thing. He's just shocked. He said, you know, I've never seen such a display of anger in my life. He says, you really need to be careful. Because don't you know that God doesn't like those kind of displays of anger? I've heard that there are angels and they have only one assignment. And that is to look for people who express anger so furiously and to send lightning bolts down from heaven to burn them to a crisp. Well, Malcolm was a bit embarrassed and he, uh, he apologized and he got his anger under control and they continued to play the round of golf. But as they got towards the end of the 18 holes, he came up to one and the putt veered to the left, came up to the next hole and the putt veered to the right. He came up to the next hole and the putt came right up to the edge of the cup and stopped. And that was just too much for Malcolm. And so he took his club and he broke it over his knee. He shouted, I missed. I can't believe I missed. And he punched the nearby tree. Well, just then this ominous cloud moved in dark. And you heard this loud clap of thunder and a bolt of lightning came down and burned up the pastor. All was quiet. There's this eerie quiet all over the golf course. And suddenly you heard this, this quiet voice coming from heaven. I missed. I can't believe I missed. <laughs> well, such displays, we have to be careful. We're talking today about on display. That there are some things we have that we have put out for display for people to see. And there are some things that we know shouldn't be on display and we have covered up. <laughs> We've been in this series on fruitfulness and being fruitful. Some of the things we looked at, we back over in, the, in our text for this. This we saw over in John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That it is imperative that we abide in him and imperative that we bear fruit. Not only do we, should we bear fruit, but fruit can be seen, fruit can be measured. Because he tells us that some folks bear fruit and he prunes them that they would bear more fruit. So you can measure fruit. The Word of God, we spend some time looking at what fruit is. Not what people think fruit is, but what fruit is. We looked at, at you know, the fake fruit and the true fruit. And you can put fake fruit out there, but God wants true fruit. And God, He's a vine dresser. He knows how to look at good fruit. That our fruit, we found out from the Word of God, brings Him glory. And we want to bring Him glory. But He is the true vine. And over these weeks, we've, we saw that Jesus is the true, the, the true vine. His Father is the vine dresser. And we are the branches. The vine does not produce fruit. The branches do. We are the fruit producers. We looked last, last week at fruit and produce. That fruit is not produce, according to the Word of God. Some folks, we get out there and we look at what we produce for God, but God's not looking at that as fruit. God wants us to bear fruit, and we spent some time looking at that last week. We spent some time in the, in the weeks before that, we looked at tracking our progress. We saw that there were three stages in the Christian development. First off, we get into the stage of what I need. We get into this this place where all I'm focused on is what I need. Well, I need this. I need that. If we come to church, was it anything that I needed? If we go through the day, was it anything I needed? If we go through the Word of God and we study the Word, was it what I needed? If I'm listening to the radio, is it a song I wanted? We're focused on what I need, aren't we? And that's the stage. And you have to do that to get the things that you need. But then we're supposed to get from there to the stage of what God wants of me. All right, this is not just about what I want, but what does God want of me? 
And we learn from His Word what He wants of us. And we get into that stage and the final stage is what others need. And we become others-minded. And we come into church and instead of, well, did I get what I need? Did, did other people get ministered to? Did I have something for someone? Could I have helped somebody over here? And we get into a, a different way of looking at things. We looked at the old and the new. We looked at Judas and Peter. How Judas followed the things of the old, but, but Peter was one who was led out of the old into the new. And of course, we covered retraining. How we can retrain ourselves to get out from the old and into the new. We looked at Moses on that. We saw how Moses was into the old ways, but he allowed God to train him and move him into the new ways and become fruitful. According to the old ways, if you walk according to the old ways, you will not produce fruit because you're not attached to the vine. And just because you're saved doesn't mean you're a fruit producer. Just because you are attached to the vine as a branch is doesn't mean that the branch will automatically produce fruit. You must abide in Him and His words must abide in you. And then we can produce fruit. Over in Luke chapter 3, as we look at this part here of what's on display, in Luke chapter 3, verse 9, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Eturia, in the region of Tacronitus, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. In case any of you were wondering, these are all the people that were in charge. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Now, a number of years ago, around Christmas time, we spent some time looking at the high priest situation of that day and age. We're not going to get into that now. But how many high priests are there? There is one. How many high priests are there in this verse? Does anything seem wrong with that? How many times we can read over this and just miss it and not be aware of it? Sometimes, folks, things just get by us on that and we're just not aware. How many of y'all know this is just something... I mean, for most of us, we'll look at this and we'll say, oh, that's no big deal. How many of y'all know that the Senate just passed a finance bill? How many know where, where finance bills originate? According to the Constitution, folks, where does, this, where does the finance bill originate? In the House. In the House, all finance bills originate. So you ask yourself, how is it that our government got away with starting one in the Senate? and sending it to the house. Just a thought. <laughs> They're trying to do all kinds of stuff anymore, getting away with things. Who cares about what the Constitution says, right? I mean, who cares what God's Word says? You want one high priest, two high priests? It's no big deal. You know how they got into two high priests? Annas and Caiaphas. Caiaphas is actually the son-in-law of Annas. And Annas was doing some stuff they didn't like, so they actually the Romans replaced him. And they replaced him with Caiaphas. But Annas becomes so powerful that the, the folks in the, in the Israelites still look to him as being the high priest. And so they're actually we're okay with the fact that, well, we have Annas and we have Caiaphas. They're both the high priest. But that's not exactly what was going on. But we're not here to talk about Annas and Caiaphas. And he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, in other words, bear fruit. And when you do bear fruit, bear good fruit. Otherwise, it ain't good. Now, what's it mean when the tree is cut down? I am not going to find out. If you all wanted to walk in such a way as to find out what happens when a tree is cut down, you go right ahead. I'm going to make sure my tree doesn't even have the axe laid near the root. I want to bear fruit and bear good fruit. Hopefully you're on the same page with that. But he says, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. Just you know, Don't be saved. Well, I go to church every Sunday. I was born an Israelite. I was born into a Christian home. Will I carry a Bible? Will I read my Bible? That apparently is not going to cut it, folks. He wants to say, what fruit have you produced? Because if you're attached to the vine, if my words abide in you, then what happens? 
you produce fruit. Some a little, some more. And the Father prunes those that are producing fruit to get them to produce even more. Understand pruning will not cause you to produce fruit. Pruning will cause you to produce more fruit. You must be a fruit producer to begin with. And we've talked about principles to help you get along those ways. So he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Since we have repented and are saved, our fruits should reflect that. Unfruitful trees are cut down. Again, don't find out what that means. I'd rather never know what it means to be cut down. You know, the branches that don't produce fruit, what happens to them? They get cut off and thrown away. This doesn't sound good. I just, it's not right. That's, that's not good. We don't want to go out there. We don't want to find out what happens to those branches. We're going to stay with the ones that are producing fruit. Verse 10, So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. So he says to one group, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. So we got one group. He's going to hit a couple of different groups. Here's, here's one group. This, in one translation, it's called the people. If you have food, give to some who don't have food. If you have clothes, give to some who don't have clothes. Now, it doesn't say for the government to come over and take away your clothes and give it to them. What does it say? You give it to them. It should be done out of you. You should just say, you know what? Look at that one. I'm going to go over there and help them out. Now, some people have more clothes than others, don't they? I mean, if you have more clothes, then maybe you have more clothes to give. Don't be, uh, don't be getting over there and, and don't be sitting over there judging, well, you got more clothes than I do, so you should... No, don't be doing that. You're going to fall into that class envy that the media and everyone's trying to get us into. I heard someone make the comparison the other day. You know, everybody's always on, you know, the rich. Tax the rich. How many have ever heard? Tax the rich. Oh, they're terrible. Tax the rich. If you go up on the IRS webpage and find out, you will find out that the richest... 1% of people in this country, get this, the richest 1%, this is not a made-up number, this is actually on the IRS website, you can go up there and look it up. Richest 1% of the people in this country pay 40% of all taxes. 40%. The richest 5% of people in this country pay 60% of all taxes paid. 5% of the people in this country are paying 60% of the taxes. The bottom 95% pay the rest. How many of y'all think the rich are getting off easy? And yet you listen to the stories in the media and how many of y'all want them to start envying? That's why I keep harping on you with this stuff. It's not because so much I want you to get you all politically minded. I want you to not get envious. They want you out there. They want you to have envy for the rich. They want you to be mad at the rich. I'm not mad at the rich. The rich... Go ahead, get rich. It doesn't hurt. If the rich get richer, I don't get poorer. It doesn't hurt me. Why do we think that it has to hurt us? Let the rich get richer. Let's, let, let us get richer too. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. How about everybody just gets richer? Amen. Is there any problem with that? I'm okay with that. <laughs> this is, this is not, not bad. We just, we don't need to get into this mentality. But they all want to let you know, well, you can't have these, these tax cuts that affect the rich. How can you not affect 5% of the people if they're paying 60% of the taxes? How can you not do it? Don't fall into it. Because what they want you to do is that, well, you have more than you need. This is the analogy I heard. This was a great analogy. I, I wish I would have thought of this analogy. This was great. How many have ever lived in a home that's around the size of 2,000 square feet? 2,000, we've lived in a home 2,000 square feet. I mean, you can live in a home 2,000 square feet, can't you? Absolutely. And then maybe you, you upgraded and you got into a home that was 4,000 square feet. That's, that's better. And then maybe you upgraded from there and got into a home that was 6,000 square feet. Now, what if somebody comes on over and decides that, you know what? You don't need more than 2,000 square feet. So you've got a home now that has 6,000 square feet. We're going to take 4,000 square feet of that. We're going to give it to other people. How many of you would be okay with that? We don't like that, do we? How about, how about this? Don't like the house one? We'll give one to another one. How about if, uh, if you all, how many of y'all starting off by, you know, buying a Ford or a Chrysler or a Chevy? You start out by that. And then you, you know, you upgraded and you got into a more expensive car, maybe BMW or, or Mercedes. And then you saw some other ones. You went out to the car show and you saw the, the, uh, my son's favorite, the Aston Martin or some of those other ones out there. What is, I don't know all of them, but. Yes, these guys over here, they probably know them. 
What, <laughs> I mean, the Aston Martin of all the expensive ones, that one I like. The uh, Rolls Royce, you can keep them. I just don't like them. I just, I just, Bentley, I, I don't like Bentleys. I just don't like them. Okay, but I just don't like them. <laughs> I just don't like, but if, how about if we do this? How about if we, we look at this and say, you know, all of a sudden they come on down and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, hold on a minute. Bentley is more car than you need. That's just more car. So we're going to take your Bentley. We're going to give you a Ford. How many of you are okay with this? Then why is it okay that we adopt the attitude that if folks who have a million dollars, a billion dollars, why is it okay? Well, you have more money than you need. As soon as we accept, folks, the idea that government can tap into any of our private property, then it's opened up, open season and everything. And you better stop getting into this thing of envy because you have no right to envy anyone, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they have a Bentley, whether they have a Ford. You have no right to envy them. Because the Word of God does not say, Thou shalt not envy except for the rich. <laughs> it doesn't say that. But we, have, we are constantly being barraged by the media. That's why I constantly barrage you in the same thing. Because I don't want this to get... I know what will happen if we let it get in here. I'm your pastor. I'm to watch out for these things. And so I keep going over this because I don't want it to get into you. We do not have the right to envy anyone. You see somebody rich out there and they say, well, we should tax them. Now understand, personal income tax was originally started to be on the who? Did you notice that the rich got poorer and poorer? <laughs> originally, it was just supposed to be a tax on the rich. Guess what happened? The rich got poorer. Because now we're all being taxed personal income tax, aren't we? Are you rich? <laughs> what happened? The rich got poorer. Because <laughs> you're being taxed now. And they, we were talking about labels the other night. I'll tell you what, labels, you can, you can change a whole lot of things with labels. I missed the beginning part, but I heard Ethel was talking some about the, the label part too, and she probably has some good stuff to throw in on there. But I'm, I didn't get to catch all that. We were missing some stuff. I had to go back over there and get it. How many of you, how many of, just for labels, I didn't throw this one out on Wednesday. I should have, but I saved it for you. How many have heard, heard that the, uh, the death tax, the estate tax, how many have heard that there's a tax cut on that? Government officials, I could name them for you if, I, if you want. I could name them. I know who has been saying this. They are talking about a tax cut to the death tax. Now, they won't call it a death tax. They'll call it the estate tax. The estate tax. The estate tax. Now, you tell me this. You know, anybody know what the estate tax is right now? Zero. They're talking about it going to, you know, I already approved it, 35%. And they talked about 35% as a tax cut. How can 35% increase from zero to 35% be described by anyone as a tax cut? Simple. They wanted 55. They settled for 35, so they cut the tax from 55 to 35. And everybody, oh, look at these wonderful government folks out there cutting the tax. Because they put a label on it that we cut the taxes. No, they didn't. They increased it from 0% to 35%. Tell you what, the government is taxing your money when you earn it. They have no right to do anything with it when you, when you die. I heard somebody say this. <laughs> you, know, you ever heard, remember the revolutionary folks? No taxation without representation. There should be no, no taxation without respiration. <laughs> no taxation without respiration. <laughs> if you're not breathing, you shouldn't be taxed. That just shouldn't be, shouldn't be going on. <laughs> The Miami Dolphins, I don't know if you remember that, but the, the owners, uh, the owner died and he left it to his kids and they had to sell it because they couldn't pay the taxes. Had to sell the whole franchise. That's how the Miami Dolphin franchise got sold because they just couldn't pay the taxes. Now, how is it that you can't pass on business like the Miami Dolphins to your kids and then be able to keep it? That's just not right. Be watchful on labels, but do not let yourself get into envy. We have no need to envy anyone. If the rich are rich, they're rich. But maybe they do or maybe they don't have Jesus. But we got Jesus. Amen. <laughs> I mean, what in the world can you be envious for? We got Jesus. We got a mansion up there. We're going to be walking on streets of gold, gates made out of pearls. I mean, what do we have to be envious for? I know we're not going to be driving Bentleys and Aston Martins up there, but I'll bet you the transportation will be pretty good. Don't get into it. 
So the first group, he says, you have two tunics. Give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. In other words, only tax which you're supposed to tax. Don't go over there and say, Well, you know, they own 5%. You're going to pay me 10 And that's how tax collectors got rich. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So he's actually, he's taking this word and he's just individualizing it for them. What should we do? Well, a soldier can intimidate because they have the power of Rome behind them. Don't intimidate people. Don't falsely accuse them to get what you want. If a soldier came up and falsely accused you of something and you'd want to get out of it, well, if you pay me some money, be content with your wages. See, what's on display that people see? That's the fruit that matters, folks. So what shall we do then? Well, there's a story about a forgetful husband. He, he's always forgetting these special days, you know, the anniversary and the birthday and, and the different special days they had when they were dating and, and things. Always forgetting those things. And, and so his wife's getting mad at him. So finally he got the idea, you know what? He went on down to the florist and he, he worked it out with the florist and he gave him all the special days. Here's my anniversary. Here's her birthday. And here's a couple of other special days. And then he even went and he put in some of those just because days. Just because. And he said, I want you to put with each one just this, this note from your loving husband. And this went on great for a long, t- long time. He'd come home and she's ha- happy because he thought of her on the anniversary, on the birthday birth. The flowers came. Oh, he's, she was so happy. And he's coming on home and he's being greeted with hugs and kisses. And, and it's working. His plan is working. And we went through a number of anniversaries and birthdays with this working great until one day he came home and he saw the flowers and said, Oh, who were these from? <laughs> now, see, you can cover up your lack in a lot of areas, but eventually it's going to come out. The idea is just to be fruitful. And just to bear fruit. And it all, all would be so much better. So he told the people, this is how you can demonstrate. He told the tax collector, this is how you can demonstrate. He told the soldiers, this is how you can dem- demonstrate. Over in Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 9. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians and Achaia. Achaia was already a year ago, and your zeal was stirred up, has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of their confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift before him, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. By this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He who sows sparingly will reap how? Sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap how? Now, he's going to be talking about fruit here, but in doing so, he's also talking about finances. So we have to get into this just a little bit. because It's always good to find out when he says something, find out why he was saying it. What he was talking about. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians about their gift. Get this, folks. He is writing to the Corinthians about their gift, not their tithe. The gift. So what he is teaching cannot be applied to the tithe, can it? It can be applied to the gift. So he who sows sparingly is referring to offerings, gifts, things of that you cannot, understand this, I wrote this in your outline for you, you cannot tithe sparingly. Can't do it. Can't tithe sparingly. Because God told you how much the tithe was. This is it. You can't do it sparingly. You can't compare yourself to someone who's making more money. Well, they're tithing more. So they'll get more. No. You can't tithe sparingly. You give offerings sparingly. Glory to God. Such should set you free. <laughs> Don't you mess with, don't you let other people intimidate you. Well, look how much they're giving. They're tithe. Oh, God must be so pleased with it. God does not care about the amount. He's looking at the obedience. Mm -hmm. But this is not talking about tithes. What's it talking about? Gifts. Gifts. 
Verse 7, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. Now again, not talking about tithing, is it? So it's not talking about a cheerful tither, it's talking about a cheerful <laughs> giver. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. This is what it says. Give, purpose in your heart. You don't purpose in your heart to tithe. You purpose in your heart to give. Amen. The tithing is already done. And understand this, folks. You cannot give until you've tithed. Can't give until you're tithed. I mean, it'd be the same principle as going into your mortgage, whoever you got your mortgage or your car loan. And, you, you know, if you owe $200 for the car loan and you're going in and say, look, um, I only have 100 can I put a hundred down on the car loan? And, oh, okay, we'll, we'll take that. All right, and then I have twenty-five more dollars, and I want to apply this to the principal. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can't do that, can you? We had we heard somebody uh, some time ago that preached on the three different ties in the Bible, and then the giving of alms after that it was really very good. But we're not here. We're only looking at this because he's talking about fruitfulness, and we just had to get the context of it. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now look at what he's saying in here. Try and get, get, get the concept of this. And God is able, say God is able. Do we make God able? No, God is able. He doesn't say God becomes able. He said God is able. God is an able God. <laughs> and God is able to make all grace. How much? All. all. All grace. Work its way towards you. Eke its way out and get over there just enough. What's it say? Abound. God is able to make all grace abound to you that you. Who's he talking about? The giver. He's not talking about you. He's talking about you as the giver. <laughs> and God is able to make sense. That's why you have to get into the context of things. You've got to understand what went on before. We haven't gotten into the verse we need to yet. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always... How many times? Always. Always. Does that mean yesterday? Does that mean tomorrow? Does that mean the day after? When is, it, when is always? When is always? Always? Is it ever not? Always is? Always. Always. That you, who? The giver. Always having all sufficiency. Why doesn't he just say sufficiency? Why doesn't he just say always having sufficiency? Is he trying to get something across to you? I mean, talk about repetitive. All grace abound to you. Always having all sufficiency. In most things. In how many things? Why do we have to put all in there again? Always having all sufficiency in all things. What is the point he's trying to get across? No matter what we face, folks, it counts. There is no way that you can get anything you're facing to not count in this. Always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance... For every good work. What's the good work? What's the context? The gift. So the good work is? So that you will have an abundance for the gift. Alright, now we establish that. And as it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now we already filled out most of these things for you, but just make sure God is able, is what Paul teaches, that we do not make God able. We give Him opportunity. He's already able. We only give Him the opportunity when we open up and we give. When you give an offering, give with purpose. Give with purpose. Did we cover that verse yet? Just making sure. No, I think we've got to wait a little while for that one. I moved that one up too, too soon. Let's go over verse 10. Now, may He who supplies seed to the sower. He who supplies seed. How many have ever said, I don't have seed to sow? Have you ever said that? I w- I'd like to give a gift, but I don't have seed to sell. How many of you ever wanted seed to sell? Apparently you can ask for it because he will give seed to the sower. Who is the sower? The one who's giving the gift. 
not the one who's given the tithe. <laughs> right? This is what he's talking about. He's talking about the givers. Isn't he? But how many times have you heard stuff in this, this uh, Scripture talked about with tithes? You can't. He's not talking about that. You've got to know what he's talking about. And sometimes we try and qualify ourselves with the tithe. But you don't. You qualify yourself with the what? Gift. Gift. That's what we do. Glory to God. Now, may who supply seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So we've we got seed for the sower. Seed is stuff that you don't eat. Bread is the stuff that you do. So what he's saying is I'm going to give you seed to give and I'm going to give you stuff to eat. I'm going to give you both. And multiply the seed you have eaten. Right? No. Sown. The only seed he can multiply, folks, is the seed that you sow. He can't multiply the seed that you eat. He multiplies the seed that you sow. And multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Folks, do you know that your attitude in giving affects the fruits of your righteousness? If you are stingy with money, you will be stingy with all the other things. If you don't allow God to multiply your seed, you're going to find it hard for God to multiply your patience. For God to prune you in such a way as to cause you to bear more fruit. Because if you hang on to your money, and you're going to hang on to your guilt, you're going to hang on to your anger, you're going to hang on to your depression, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, with, which causes thanksgiving through to us, us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the need of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. So by us doing this, the needs of the saints are taken care of. Verse 11 again. While you are enriched in... How are you enriched in everything? For all liberality. This is good when it's a good time to be liberal. Right there. <laughs> when you are enriched in everything with all, for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgiving to God. While... Through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding great grace of the gift in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Glory to God. Go back up to verse 7. So let each one give as he what? Purposes in his heart. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a what? How many have ever been in a, in a meeting or watched the TV and the guy or the gal comes up on the TV and is telling you about how they're going under, how it's not going to work, and, and they guilt you into giving? Did you purpose in your heart? Can what you give qualify in this verse? No, because you gave out of guilt. You didn't give out of purpose. You've got to give out of purpose. You've got to let God minister to you. You've tithed unto God. And God says, Alright, I want you to take that and I want you to put it there. <gasps> really that? You know what I was thinking I was going to do with that? Yeah, I want you to take that and I want you to put it there. <laughs> oh my God. I don't want to put that there. I want to put that here. I like it here. I didn't like it. I don't want it there. And so God begins to deal with you and you say, Alright, I'll do it. And you what? Purpose in your heart. You purpose in your heart. Folks, when you learn how to purpose in your heart about giving, God can start to share things. God can start to taste, tell you things. And God can all of a sudden, you wake up in the morning and God says, you're going to find somebody today and I want you to do this for them. You purpose in your heart. You're going to see this opportunity. I want you to be ready for it. You're going to purpose in your heart. And you're going to be out there. You're going to be ready. Do you know what that does to the growth of your spirit? There's a whole other world, folks when you purpose in your heart to give. Don't look at the amount. God, if you don't understand this by now, God doesn't care about the amount. God can do anything with a little bit. 
The woman with the oil in the Old Testament, how much oil did she have? A little tiny bit. How, did she, how much did she end up with? Whole lot. Whole lot. How much did the widow woman have as far as flour was concerned? Enough to make a little meal for her and her son and they were going to die. That's it. That's all we got. How much did they have? They kept on going, didn't it? That was pretty good. The disciples came for the feeding of the 5,000. What do you got? Well, we got, you know, a few loaves and a couple of fish. <laughs> a couple of fish. Well, what is that among so many? This isn't going to work. He says, that's all right. Let them all sit down. Let them all sit down. And God does not care about the amount. God cares about purpose in our heart. And understand, when you get first start moving into this realm, God's going to start with you small. He's going to say, get $5. Get $20 over there. Get $25. Do that over there. Oh, it'll, it'll, it'll help you. Brother Hagan used to share the stories with us. Oh, they were so neat. He would tell the stories of how he would, uh, he would be in one meeting and he'd be ministering and, and God would say, I want you to give $20 to that guy over there. God, I only have $20. And I don't have enough gas to get me to the next meeting. I want you to give $20 to that guy over there. You know, for the first couple of times he argued with it, but he eventually, you know, gave in. And so he gave the $20 and another time came up and he was told to do something again. And a third time came up and he, you know, give this over here. It's all he had in his pocket. It wasn't much, but it was all he had in his pocket. And God took care of him. We went on, on through. And then he was at another set of meetings. And I remember more of the details of the meeting he was at. He said the, the morning of that thing, he, was, he, was, uh, he saw a vision. And in this vision, he saw this whole row of wheelchairs. I think there's five or six people in wheelchairs. And he saw himself going over and lay hands on each one. And he said all but one got up and walked. Right there. They were in wheelchairs. I don't know how long, but they all... All but one got up and walked in his vision. Walked around the, around the church, danced, leaped, all sorts of stuff. And so when he came into the meeting that night, sure enough, just like he saw in his vision, there was the wheelchairs. And so he did what he saw in the wheelchairs. And just like in the vision, all but one of them got up and walked. And afterwards, God ministered to him. He says, now, if you hadn't been obedient, when I told you to do that over here and this over here and this over here, I couldn't have used you there. Couldn't have used you there. God's asking for some obedience in some areas. And you don't know how it has any relationship to anything else that you're doing. But just understand, it has a relationship to what you're doing. And if God says, I need you to do this over here, then just do it. Don't look at it and say, well, that, that can't. There's no way that $5 is going to help this person. I mean, now they're just going to laugh at me. Did God say it? Purpose in your heart. There's a difference between purposing in your heart and giving grudgingly or of necessity. How many times have we given? Well, I guess I have to. Be, oh, I guess I've got to do this. I don't really want to do this, but I guess I have to. Oh, they're all guilting me out. Oh, I feel so bad. I guess I better do something. Purpose in your heart. There's a difference. That's what he wants us to get into. Verse uh, 10 again. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower, he will supply you seed. There will come a day in the area of giving when God can put into you a purpose in your heart to give a gift that is beyond your ability. And instead of looking at it and thinking, oh, I can't do that. I can't, no, I can't. I don't have the means to do that. We simply say, glory to God. God, you have purposed in my heart to go out there and to do this, to write this check, to satisfy this need, whatever it is. I thank you that just as you said right here, you give seed to the what? Sower. What do you have to do in order to be a sower? You had to give seed. So when you get into that area where you're giving seed as a sower, you now become a sower and you purpose in your heart and God says, now I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to give you seed because you're no longer going to eat it. You're going to give it. And so when God gives you $1,000 to sow, $15,000 to sow, and when that comes into your, you just sow it. I'm a sower. So I am. Father God, I'm a sower. Glory to God, I'm a sower. And here I'm even more of a sower. Here I'm going to sow. <laughs> and you just sow. Oh, it's a diff- there's a different realm there, folks. And the fruit that comes out of your life is the, the, how many have ever, how many have, don't raise your hand. I'm raising, don't, don't raise your hand. I want you to do, use your inside hand. How many of you have trouble with anger? How many have trouble with depression? How many have trouble with, uh, with, with things that are anti gifts of the, or, or fruit? Anti fruit. They're, they're in the area of the flesh. How many of areas of your flesh that come up? Jealousy, envy, things, fear, 
stuff like this. If you have stuff like that come up, they are anti-fruit. Anti-fruit. It's not fruit. And if you want to have victory over that, you get yourself to be a sower. You're going to see some fruits that you didn't see before. Folks, the reason that we are hanging on to some of the hang-ups we have is because we have not become what He has said to be. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Your righteousness is expected to have fruits and He will increase the fruits of your righteousness. The reason He's tying all this giving stuff up with this, this uh, phrase that we've seen so far, the fruits of your righteousness, is because your giving has something to do with it. Glory to God. You can set you free. Now, don't sit there and get and guilt and condemnation. Oh, well, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. And I should be. And God probably told me to do that. And I probably ate seed. And all. <laughs> you can't change the past. Yeah, but you can change the future. Amen. Father God, I haven't Amen. been doing this, but I'm going to now. Oh, I'm moving. I see. Oh, I can move in that now. Oh, you watch out quickly. I show that $5 now. And you're excited about it. Because you purposed in your heart. You're not giving out of guilt. You're not giving out of need. You're giving because I've purposed in my heart. And then you begin to go after God. God, sow me, sow into me some purposes for me to give to. And God sows into your purpose. And you, you say, oh, oh, look at that. I don't have enough for that glory to God. He said he'd give seed to the sower. That means some seed is coming my way. Now, I don't know about you. If you've got somebody on your staff somebody who works for you, somebody who does stuff for you, and every time they, they, they do a job for you, they do a really, really good job. I mean, an exceptionally good job. A job that you look at and say, wow, don't you ever, doesn't that desire rise up in the inside of you to bless them? So if God has given seed to the sower and the sower does what needs to be done and then God says, here's some more seed and they, they sow with their, don't you think God sometimes says, here, here's some for you. This is, this is just, I don't want you to sell it. This is just for you. Let God get that way with you. That's the way we got to get. He supplies seed for the sower and bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. So what you've sown hasn't gone to waste, folks. And increase the fruits of your righteousness. John talked about bearing fruits worthy of repentance. Fruits of righteousness. Glory to God. Our righteousness has an effect upon us. We don't have to be concerned with what we are on display with because what's on the inside is changing. And the fruits that come are that out of the righteousness that I am, not because of the effort I put, through, put out. Glory to God. Let's go over to the next verse. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. What is he praying to abound? Love. Your love. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. All the other things are just outgrowths of that are characteristics of that love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So he's saying, I, I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Do you know that your love can abound more than it is now? And then after that, it can abound even more. And it can abound even more. In knowledge and all discernment. Boy, we could spend time on that. That you may approve the things that are excellent. We talked before. If you want to become an excellent vessel, do excellent things. Bring on excellent stuff. That's what, you, that's what we're going to do. If you all are out there, you know when my son finally gets his, uh, his Aston Martin and he takes it over because it needs tires, he's not going to go over and say, what's the cheapest tire you have? Is, is he? No. He's going to say, what's the best tire? You, I want the best tire on that car. Because I know how much it hurts him to see that Aston Martin get messed up. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> you don't want Aston Martin to get messed up. So he goes in and he wants tires for his Aston Martin. He's going to say, are they the best tires? Do you have anything better? Well, are there better tires than that? You don't have them? I'll go find them. What's the best oil I can put into this car? I don't want the cheap oil. Don't give me the Kmart brand. What's the best oil for this car? 
well, there's a really good one, but it'll cost you, you know, 20 bucks more. Will you put that stuff in there and stop messing with me with 20 bucks? <laughs> right? Why? Because you have excellent things. You want excellent stuff going into it. When you pull an Aston Martin up, you know, I pulled my, my truck up to the gas tank. You know which one I pull? Regular. <laughs> Regular. That's it. And anymore, I have to be careful because I can't fill up my truck most days. Can't do it. If you go out to the pump and you put the thing in and I just, you know, fill it up, it stops before my truck is full. Most of you folks don't come into that because they've upped the limit. But they still have a limit. And they have a certain limit and my truck eats more than that. So I had to try and go in and fill up my truck. You know, because you've got a big car too, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> she runs into the same thing. It, it has a, a big car, has a big gas tank. You know why? Because you need a lot of gas to go as many miles as your little car. <laughs> My gas tank takes 30, 30 gallons to fill it up. <laughs> 30 gallons, fill that sucker up. So, if, you know, if I go in, I'm on empty. Well, it's not going to be all the way full. It's, it takes a lot of gas in there. You got one of those little ones, got 13. 13 gallons fills it all the way up. And you go in there, probably put 10 in because there's probably three in the tank, right? $10 for the gas. Man, I'm just getting started. <laughs> oh. But I just pull up regular. But you got one of those nice, nice Aston Martins or Bentleys or something like that. What are you doing? Premium. Premium. No. I don't want to say 20 cents a gallon. Give me the good stuff. <laughs> you want good stuff. You have a good thing you want. And God wants us to be excellent vessels. He wants good stuff going into us. Good stuff. That you may approve the things that are excellent. Get out there and approve the things that are excellent. Folks, I want you to do this. Approve the things that are excellent. Look at the friends that you associate with. Are they excellent friends? Look at the materials that you read. Are they excellent materials? Look at your cat. Is it an excellent cat? If it's not, replace it. Get another one. <laughs> you, want, you want excellent stuff in your house. Go out there and, and, and bring in excellent stuff. You need to approve it. Look over your life. Do, am I bringing in excellent things? Am I reading excellent things? Am I watching? Am I listening to excellent things? What am I doing? If you want to, have a, if you want to be a person of excellence, what do you got to do? Have excellent stuff. Got to have excellent stuff. That you may approve the things that are excellent. You got to go out there and, and approve it. Is this excellent? Is this worthy of my Aston Martin? Is this worthy of a believer in Christ? Is this attitude worthy of a believer in Christ? Are these words that I'm saying worthy of a believer in Christ? Well, I was mad. Oh. It's, yeah, it's right. It is right in there. Except when you're mad. I missed it. I didn't see it when I read the first time. But it's right there. Except when you're mad. I should, I should have just written it right in. <laughs> that you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense. Now, the guy who got the flowers, was he sincere? <laughs> no. <laughs> there's, a difference in, there's a difference in sincerity there, isn't it? But if you're going to spend the money for an Aston Martin and you're going to show up at the, the, the place to have it fixed, are you sin, sin, sincere in pursuing excellence for the things that are going in that car? Approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere... And without offense to the day of Christ. Approve. Now find excellent things. I like excellent. How many of y'all like excellent things? I like excellent things. I hate buying cheap stuff. Because you know what? Generally you're going to find you're going to replace it. You know, there's just no, not, no sense in replacing it. I've told you some of the things that I bought in the house that were excellent. I mean, just really good. I, I stepped it up way back before we were married. The receiver that we have in our home, it's an Ankyo. I could have bought a Pioneer. I could have bought a Sony. I wouldn't have, but I could have. <laughs> I could have bought a JVC. But see, they're not excellent. Now, how many of you think, well, that's a good name. No, they're not. They're not excellent. They're not excellent names. Excellent names are Hardon, Cordon, I think is, is it's Cardon. Cardon. They're one of the top names. I didn't go that. I wanted the Ankyo. And the guy was telling me, you know, the, the Hardon one, that's like the Rolls Royce. The Ankyo is like the Cadillac. So I want Cadillac. And I got Ankyo. But, you know, I had it before we were married. It still works. I'll bet you I'll replace three or four JVCs in the meantime. No, I go out there and I... No. I'm, I'm buying something. If I'm going to buy something, it's going to be good. We went out to get a vacuum cleaner for our house and we didn't go buy the Eureka. 
We didn't go out and buy the... We, we went out and we got a good one. We didn't get a Kirby. I hear that they're good, but yeah, we didn't get that. But what was the, what was the brand we got? What is it? Oric. We got an Oric. And I'll tell you what, that thing picked up stuff that we didn't know could get picked up. Mm. Boy, it did well. I mean, for a while, you're just going out there and you're buying cheap stuff. You know, you can go over to Kmart and buy your dress shirts. They won't last as long. They won't last as long. I bought my, K- my dress shirts at Kmart for a while, but they didn't last as long. Then I found out if I go over to Macy's or some of these other places, they lasted longer, but then they stopped carrying their, their shirts that I wanted. And so then I just sent them over at JCPenney. I like JCPenney shirts because they last and they're colorful. And if you want to buy your shirts someplace else, that's fine. But there's a difference between buying cheap stuff and buying excellent stuff. Cheap stuff will get you by, but excellent stuff does the job better. You can buy a knife, or you can buy a knife. You can buy a knife that you fight to get through the meat, or you can buy a knife that says, ha, I laugh at you. <laughs> I like, when we had to cut up the chicken, I like one of those knives that it does not matter if you know where the bone ends. I'm going through. <laughs> We're just cutting. I don't care if I... I don't have to find where the cartilage is between the bones. I'm just going through. <laughs> That's what I want. There's a difference. I want excellent stuff. We should have excellent things. And should change your mindset to one who has excellent things. Now, some things, you know, you don't care about them being excellent. But other things you would care. Change your mindset. But even more so for your own self. Have excellent friends. Have excellent conversations. Have excellent meditations. Have excellent prayers. Stop with these junky ones. Have some excellent prayers and bring them in. What's an excellent prayer? Word of God tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Don't have to be long. Jesus didn't pray long. But He prayed powerful. He said one sentence things and things happened. You're out there talking for a half hour and nothing happens. Not you, but just other people. Other churches and other countries and stuff like that. Yeah. Approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. You being without offense is dependent on you, not anyone else. Stop being offended at what people say. I mean, dear Lord, who cares? Don't bring it in. Other people want to offend you, just don't let them. If you get offended, it messes with you. You don't need it. And be being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, they bring glory to God. If you bring in excellent stuff, if you approve excellent things, if you get around excellent people, have excellent conversations, have excellent meditations, guess what? your fruits of righteousness will abound. In John, James chapter 3, and verse 10, Out of the same mouth pursued blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Out of the same mouth we can say good things. Out of the same mouth we can say, say bad things. Out of the same mouth I can say faith-filled things. And in the same mouth I can say doubt-filled things. It ought not to be this way. Because as soon as you start talking both ways and you've got to make sure that you're in front of the right group, when you say that, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. You may be able to pass it off as, as uh, good water in some situations. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? And let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. Do not envy. Old Testament, New Testament. Don't envy the rich. Don't envy the people with the big cars. Don't envy the, the... Don't envy them. Don't envy them. Don't. Don't do it. Because envy becomes bitterness. And you get angry. Don't, don't get angry. Get all that out of there. Don't ever look at... Well, look at what... The, oh, I wish I had... Nope. Nope, don't do it. Glory to God. I thank God he's able to have that. She's able to have that. Oh, look at them. They're getting richer. Glory to God. I hope they're honoring God with that riches. 
Because them getting richer doesn't mean you have to get poor. They can get rich and you can get rich. Makes no difference at all. God is not the one up there. Well, I can only bless so many people. Hmm. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Got it? This wisdom, it's not from above. It's earthly, sensual, and demonic. What wisdom? The stuff that is filled with bitter envy and self-seeking. It is from where? It's not from above. It's earthly. It's sensual. And it is... Don't have any part of it. Which is why I keep warning you over and over and over. Every time the media, government type people want to get you into envy and another class of people. Don't do it. It's not befitting you. Don't bring it in. Don't have conversations about it. Don't ever sit out there and say, well, those rich people. Glory to God, I thought you were hoping to be one one day. Why are you out there talking about it like that? But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, brings peace, doesn't bring unrest, doesn't cause people to war against each other or envy one another. It's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, that's not willing to compromise. There is nothing in the Word of God about compromise. It's willing to yield. You know what? I don't have to have my way. I don't have to push for this. They're not ready to hear this yet. I'll yield on this. I don't have to, I don't have to go that way. It's willing to yield. Full of mercy and good fruits. That's the wisdoms from above. If you ever want to wonder, is what I'm hearing from above or from someplace else? Pull up this list and compare it. Is it first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, without partiality? It doesn't favor men over women, women over men, one race over another race, one color hair over another color hair, one age over another age, rich over poor. It doesn't do it. It's without partiality and it's without hypocrisy. In other words, if you follow the wisdom that is from above, you can be the same no matter what group you are in front of. People who change what they say, how they are, from one group to another, you don't have to wonder where their wisdom come from. If it comes from above, it's the same. No matter what group you're in front of. Jesus was the same no matter if he was in front of the Pharisees or the tax collectors or the soldiers. It didn't matter to him. No bitter envy. What verse do we leave off at? Verse 17? Verse 18. Well, now verse, we didn't finish verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. Good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There we got that sowing thing going on again. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Be peaceable. Be peaceable. Don't be out there stirring people up. These folks that are in the media, these folks that are in government trying to stir people up. Well, those rich people. Well, those people are trying to give a break to these folks. Well, they're not trying to fight for you. They're only trying to stir things up. They're not being peaceable. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on, whether they're Democrat, Republican, Independent, or by, or go by any other name. It doesn't matter. We're not here to stir up th these things, kind of things up. should not be the way it is. So what's on display with you? We looked before at Moses. We saw some of the things that were on display with him. In the beginning, it wasn't so good. But when he got to the end, he allowed God to change him. And he became the same, no matter what group he was in front of. And he just had this confidence and belief in God. Israel was always murmuring and complaining. God said, we're going to wipe you guys out. We're going to start with a new group. And that new group, when they faced opposition, they faced it in faith. Abraham, he wasn't so good when God started out with him. But God kept working with him. God kept molding him. And after a while, Abraham became a man of faith, so much so that he took his son, his only son, his only son born of promise. And he took him up on the mountain to sacrifice him. And God says, all right, hold on a bit. I just need to see that you're willing to do it. That's all we needed. You're good. Go over there and get that ram. We'll, we'll use him instead. Have a Gideon. God comes up to him, man of faith and power. <laughs> Who? Me? Talking to me? No, you couldn't see it. Hey, but Ahab. 
I gave you the reference on this. This is the one we covered in any time recent. But when Ahab, he goes on out and he, he talks to uh, the, the guy, the Naboth with the vineyard. I want to buy your vineyard. And he says, nope, can't do it. It's been in my family for a long time and it needs to stay there. God said to keep it in your family. And he comes home and he looks sad. And he goes to his bed and I don't want to eat. And his wife comes in and says, why are you so sad? I'm so sad. I wanted to go and buy this vineyard and he wouldn't let me buy it. I wanted a nice vegetable garden just so you could have some vegetables. You wouldn't have to go so far to get the vegetables. When you needed the vegetables, they would be there for you. Honey, that's okay. I really appreciate you wanting to do that, but you just let me take care of this. Really? You'll get me my vegetable garden? Yeah, you just get up and go eat something. I'll take care of that for you. Guilting the person in, what kind of fruits is he showing? What kind of wisdom is he operating from? It's not hard to see that, is it? Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees. Were the Pharisees hard to figure out? They put up one front, but behind there was something else. They were, they were hypocrites. Because in front of the group, we have to present this because we realize that this is not right. We told you before on Wednesday night, the reason that people shun labels is because they are afraid of the exposure that it brings. We gave you two reasons. Why? If you didn't miss it, it would be up on the internet here. You can go out there and check it out. But the reason, one of the reasons that people are afraid of labels is they do not like the revelation that it brings. They are ashamed of the revelation that it brings. They are ashamed of what it tells people about them. We should never be ashamed of anything that's on the inside of us. And if we are, then get rid of it. Stop covering it up. Get rid of the thing. How do you get rid of it? We just covered a whole mess of principles in here for you today. In a lot of different areas of Scripture. That you can get rid of these things and not just cover them up. If you're looking at yourself today and you, say, you came up a little short, you say, well, I don't know if I'm quite bringing in excellent things. I don't know if I'm quite having the excellent conversations and the excellent meditations and the excellent friends and the excellent all the other things. I don't know if I'm quite doing all that. Oh, I'm no good. I'll never be any good. <laughs> if you don't quite have the right attitude about people, about forgiveness, if you don't have the right love going on the inside of you, Things aren't going well for you in the area of money. You're not quite doing the things you ought to be doing there. And you look at this. And, oh, God's been dealing with me on that. And Oh, stop getting in guilt and condemnation. God does not want to move you through guilt and condemnation. He wants to move you through purpose. Just get back before God and say, God, I've got a purpose in my heart. I am going to become this kind of a sower. I'm not there just yet, but I'm going to become that kind of a sower. I'm going to become that kind of a person who judges things for excellence in their life. And I'm going to determine, is this excellent before I bring it in? I'm going to become that kind of a person. I'm going to become a person who bears fruits worthy of the righteousness that's on the inside of them because you have put this wonderful righteousness on the inside of me and I am going to bear fruits that are worthy of that. I I have purpose in my heart. I have determined this is where I'm going. I'm not guilted into this because if you're guilted into anything, it'll last as long as the guilt does. Have a purpose in your heart. Now, this is what I'm going to do. This is the direction I'm going to go. This is how I'm going to head. I am going to become what God wants me to be. And just understand this. When you make that determination, there will be all kinds of things that come up in your life to try and pull you off. Well, there will be friends that say things and do things. There will be temptations that come up and try and pull, lure you out over here and pull you out over here. Don't take it. There will be thoughts that come in that try and put down what it is that you're doing. Oh, that's not very much. That's not so good. You could do better than that. I don't think God's going to be impressed with that. I'm not. No, don't, don't mess with that. Purpose in your heart. Father God, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to get it done for you. Because I realize the change it will bring in my life. And God says, glory to God. I am able to bring all this stuff on you. Now you're giving me an opportunity. Give God the opportunity. He wants fruits to come out in your life. Give them the opportunity to help them grow. Stop trying to determine, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be depressed. (coughs) Cure for depression is the joy. One One of the joy of the Spirit. That's one of the fruits. One of the aspects of the fruits talked about. Fruit of love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. All those things. They're all offshoots of it. You want to have those things going on in your life? God does too. And He will help you get there. Listen to Him. 
purpose in your heart. Going home and you may have a whole world of things you're looking at right now. It's, oh, I got so many things I got to fix. Purpose in your heart. I'm going to do this one and this one. I'm not going to work with the rest of them right now. I'm going to do this one. I'm going to do this one. I'm going to purpose in my heart. This is what's going to happen. God will change it. I'm going to focus on bringing excellent things in. I'm going to focus on being a sower. I'm going to focus, whatever it is. You go out there and all the things we got into in the Word of God. Go back over these scriptures. Let God speak to you. Let God develop you in that. It's so much better when you're not trying to produce fruit, but you just are fruitful. Oh, what a difference. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we give you glory, we give you praise, and we thank you. You are such a great and awesome God. It is a joy to walk with you. You are the God who can supply all things. And Paul emphasized it so much. All, every, all, overabundance, all the time. Oh, Father, always. <laughs> he just kept drilling it home. Wanted us to know there is not a situation we face that our God is not greater, that His grace will not be poured out, that His mercy is not there. There is no situation that we face that we cannot be just as merciful, just as loving. There is no situation that will cause offense to come upon us unless we let it. There is no one that can bring them down unless we let, bring us down unless we let them. We will not. We will get around people that encourage us in our walk. We will have excellent friends. We will have excellent people around us. We will have excellent thoughts. We will excellent, have excellent meditations and think on the things of the Word of God. Because when we do that, we will become excellent. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to be producing the fruits of the righteousness already inside of us. You have put that righteousness in us when we got saved, when we got attached to the vine. And now he says, now produce fruits worthy of that righteousness. And Father, we want to get out there and do that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Never, un, never look at God as a, a guilt motivator. God does not motivate through guilt. God motivates through purpose. He says, this is where you can go. This is what's ahead. Go for it. Be purposeful in the things that you, you go after.